Welcome to the Spaceship Earth Mission. I should remember the name of my own podcast. Welcome to the Spaceship Earth Mission Log. I'm here with Nikki Wall, founder of Loving Eats and the Loving Eats Mission. And I'm very excited to finally get to meet you. Uh, I feel like, you know, now this is after post-pandemic, this is this is counts as meeting you virtually like this. But uh it's an honor. We've uh, we've interacted on the Space Camp, Buckminster Fuller Institute um, breakouts, and um, also you know, kind of a little bit within you know the missions proper. And uh, I was just really inspired by not only your project, but the amount of professionalism and organization that you bring. You know how together you, you know. I looked at your project, and it's in execution phase, and you're doing yeah. real work on the ground. And uh, I, I want to know all about it. So part of this is just to share with not only the Buckminster Fuller community um, and the SpaceCap members, but just so that people can start to connect with you and your work and so that we can interconnect with these ideas. So, you know, I know very little about food security. I know very little about ecology. And that excites me because I get to learn and so part of my reason for doing this is to, you know, sort of connect ideas together. So, uh, Nikki Wall, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And um, I think that's really um, genius of you um, to interview us so that you can learn <laughs> along the way. I really love that. Um, so, yeah, um, I'm... From Los Angeles, that's where I was born and mostly raised. Is Los Angeles metro Me area, too. and I know you've got the phone number. I noticed that, um, and so that's technically where I'm rooted, and that's where all of my origin story happens. But um, currently in Lisbon, uh, Portugal, right now, um, with my life partner and Beautiful. my co-founder. <laughs> he's both <laughs> um so yeah where where do you want to go what, what is it that i can teach you about today well <laughs> first of all let's start with the mission um obviously your mission already had your whole entire company and your project behind it so you brought it into the space camp and made it a mission what kind of help were you needing uh in terms of execution and and how did that go? What, you know, tell me, and then we can kind of go into what Loving Eats was, but I kind of want to just get that out of the way. Like, give me a report. What happened? Uh, during the space camp, like the progress during yeah. the space camp, you mean? Um, honestly, I got some really, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I struggle a lot with imposter syndrome. In spite of knowing all of my experience, my background, like awards, everything, but I struggle with a lot of imposter syndrome. I think that the safety of being in a community of people that even if we're not thinking the same things, we're thinking the same ways, like we're all thinking in system design, we're always all thinking about regeneration in all of its forms, whether mm -hmm. it's the water, the earth, society, um, governance systems. And I think that that gave me a safe place to <clears throat> settle down and unmask because, um, you know, I actually um, am triple neurodivergent. So that presents a lot of challenges and insecurity in my mm. life too. 
um, having been othered a lot um, mm-hmm. for multiple reasons. And so mm. the space camp always gives me a way to, I mean, this, this is, I, I don't even remember how much, how many I've done now, but I've been in them for a while. And this is actually the first mission that I brought to the table that wasn't just like a theoretical thing, but actually had a foundation. So I got a lot of really good guidance, ideas, connections. Um, I found a way to clarify, you know, with um, more precision. Um, Yoshimi and John, Mm -hmm. who are mission supporters, helped a lot with their Tetra Map and Tetra Meme. And they brought some wisdom that I was deeply missing. Um, I used to have a really strong connection Mm -hmm. with my great-grandparents who I lost almost exactly 10 years from now, actually just over 10 years from now. It was um, Mm. in September. And then, um, Mm -hmm. you know, when my great-grandmother died in 2012, my great-grandfather like just disassociated and, you know, and he died um, a little over a year after (laughs) that. But they were like guiding lights in my life in so many different ways. Mm. And, I've been trying to like kind of grab on to other elders. And when they stepped in to a call, uh, a conversation with um, my co-founder and I, we really, I think I had a, uh, I mean, we were really blown away by what they were bringing to the table, but even more so there was, um, one thing, like, there was like a couple of pieces of wisdom they passed on that I literally cried and felt mm. so overwhelmed because it was like that, it was that wisdom of the elders that I needed. Um, <laughs> it was more about stopping and taking a breath instead of like trying to rush through everything, mm-hmm. but also mm-hmm. really. It was really compassionate, actually. I was like, oh, okay, so when should I plan to do this? And they're like, hmm. When you receive an invitation, I was like, because oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. I'm like so proactive and like go 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 all the time, and like I'm uh-huh. building my life. Uh-huh. And they're like, when you're invited, yeah. and I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh, so <laughs> true and so helpful. Such a perspective shift, especially when you're used to being in the activist space where. You know, you're really pushing and fighting and trying to get change to occur whether people want it or not, because a lot of times you're fighting sort of inactivity and trying to get things going. And cooperation is the jam. I mean, like getting people to like, you know, give of their heart and to like connect at the heart level. And once you do that, once you got someone on that level, then it's like you're you're in like that's that's when things happen. And I think that was what really drew me to the work of Buckminster Fuller. Uh, through the Buckminster Fuller Institute was that idea of cooperation and, you know, this excitement and this joy that can happen when we're all building and together. And turning it into and a so, game. Um, you know, even just you mentioned the mentorship aspect. Yeah, <laughs> having fun with it. Yes. 
Because this should be fun. I mean, we have this opportunity to connect more deeply with one another through helping all of life. And that ultimately weaves interconnection, which weaves happiness and contentment. And so um, that's so amazing. Thank you for sharing about your your team and the mentorship aspect. Because for me, too, it's been a similar, like finally connecting with people who are thinking deeply about these kinds of things and having a place to have that conversation has been just, it's opened a part of me that's been wanting to flower for such a long time. And it's so stimulating, but also it feels meaningful and important. And I think that sense of meaning is really a basic, I mean, I think as as humans, that's what we're all looking for. And we realize a lot of the things that we could be spinning our wheels for just aren't, aren't worth much. They're not doing anything valuable. And so I think of restaurants and we're going to talk about loving eats. You know, I think about, I was in my cafe this morning having my coffee and I realized that you know, first of all, I, I watched the masterclass with Michael Pullen on intentional eating. And one of the things he reminded me was that uh, food is pleasure. <clears throat> and so when we go to a restaurant, we're, we're allowing ourselves to experience pleasure. But also in, in, in restaurants, it's where we go have community. It's where we go out to be with our yeah. friends. It's where we go out to connect. It's part of this, you know, like it's, it's a segment where we allow ourselves in our current society to have those kinds of things that maybe we don't. So, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, there are so many opportunities within, you know, the restaurant system is such a large part of the food system. As, as we know, um, the food system is a huge part of our ecology and how humans treat the planet or don't treat the planet well. And uh, so tell me more about Loving Eats because I'm so interested in, in your, your, your mission, not just outside of space camp, but well. like I'm so interested in what you tell, tell me. Tell the audience a little bit about Loving Eats. Well, Loving Eats is a culmination of many things. Like um, I had a really, like the first half of my life was just a wreck. And I say that because I'm about to have mm. a benchmark birthday. And it literally, when I think back, I have Happy hit, birthday. Thank you. Capricorns, we rock. Um, <laughs> um, I'm <laughs> just hitting that point where it was at exactly half my life ago where I started to seriously question things in an existential way. When I was... And and the interesting thing was it was an existential exploration of like, well, how do I turn all of this into something else? And then going into an exploration phase leading up to the ultimate like realization of, okay, that's the path right there um, in like late 2012. And um, that was solidified mm. by the universe sort of like – killing three people in a row that I was very close and dependent. One of them, oh. unfortunately, codependent on. Um, mm. And then also my marriage ended mm-hmm. that I had been in with my childhood sweetheart. And, you know, we raised two kids together. Um, there was just so much mm. that like the universe is like, I'm going to mm. dump your bucket out. You have nothing left. There it all went figure it out. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. so, you know, when I was like eight was the first time mm. my 
mother was tossing me into uh, trash bins to dumpster dive for food for my sisters and I due to her. Um, oh. Yeah. You know, she, she um, had a drug addiction and that was interfering a lot. But since we also had some family financial support, she was trying to hide that in other ways by making sure that we would eat. But me being the oldest sibling, I was the one in the trash mm. cans digging to find some decent food. <laughs> um, by the time I was 13, I mean, my whole family was in such a state of disarray that the only safe thing for me to do was actually go live on the streets. And so I left home. Um, wow. And I immediately connected with food, not bombs, just because like people could tell I was homeless and they're like, oh, go, go, go to this park and eat. And then I was like, hey, I know how to dig good food out of a trash can. I can help. So um, <laughs> between that and then, you know, getting recruited by the environmental activists of the 90s, they were like, hey, kid, come here. We could use you. Let's save the whales and let's, uh, you know, <laughs> let's cool. stop people from killing <laughs> cows, you know? So now I'm vegan nice. and all of this. And and I had this delusion that had been programmed into me by my family. Um, part of my family, the, the biggest majority of it, was very fundamental Jehovah's Witnesses. And, um, you know, they had me mm-hmm. <laughs> reading you and I the have Bible. A lot in common. Oh, were you also raised in that? Okay, so then you'll understand when Not I say... Not JW, but yeah. Close, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and it is weird because we do look like siblings. Look at that, our faces are shaped the same way. We have similar coloring and everything. It's so wild. <laughs> anyway, it's tripping me out. <laughs> I don't know. I just got a DNA test. It might be possible. Anyway, <laughs> um, so... I, um, you know, I had been taught that, well, through my grandparents, my great grandparents that were mystics, they weren't Jehovah's Witnesses. They were transcendental, um, more transcendental, um, uh, mystics, if you will, even though, um, you know, my great grandmother specifically came from Judaism. It's a whole other lineage story. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, she was teaching me, she was a social activist during the civil rights movement, um, you know, marching with, um, the people fighting for their civil rights. She was doing a lot in Los Angeles to help that movement and to get support for it as well as other things. So she was doing all kinds of like mutual aid work and social justice work, um, and then environment became really important. And, um, but having learned in the Jehovah's Witness Church or been programmed to believe that there would be a time that, you know, some entity was going to come back and we were going to inherit a paradise earth and it would just be regenerated and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I kind of had this yeah. moment where I'm like, that's not happening. And it's just getting worse. And yeah. we have to do it ourselves. Yeah. And, and then they started realizing there's no way that if a, if a God was love, that they would make everything in nature diverse, but then you're going to burn or be thrown in an abyss for eternity if right. you're queer or whatever. Yes. So I just became right. 
motivated realizing I have to save myself. I have to save as many people as possible. Uh And, and it was like this, this moment. We are the saviors that we've been waiting for. Except I don't want to be a savior. I don't want to have that white person Messiah (laughs) complex. I just, if anything, I've been so careful with my work the past few years to avoid the Messiah. I've made some embarrassing mistakes. (laughs) Let me tell you, in my humanitarian (laughs) work, I have made some humiliating Uh mistakes. And I'm like, I'm going to leave that there as a teaching lesson for everybody else. I'm not even going to hide that. But when I got called out, yeah, the first time for having a savior complex and having this sort of right. white privilege uh, attitude towards like kids not wearing shoes in other countries. Like, oh my god, look at them! They're like mm-hmm. playing with no shoes on, and and somebody's like, oh my god, do you realize how stupid you sound right now? <laughs> Oops, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I'm yeah. gonna learn from this, but um. But I, you know, now I'm trying to be really careful and more than saving people, I want to serve people. Yeah. And so for the last 10 years, what happened in 2012 after I lost all of that, and I had already been an activist for a long time in many ways. I had worked in the film industry. I had been a ghostwriter for some of the biggest like spiritual personalities on the planet and things like that. Um, writing their blogs and books for them mm. and stuff. Um, I kind of, you know, I had lost a son. I lost my great grandmother. I lost my mother and I lost my best friend and my marriage all in the span mm. of four months. So, and I was literally, mm. I walked away from my marriage. I'm like, keep it wow. all. I don't even want to fight. Like just, you can have it. Like I don't even associate it with it anymore. I, handed off all my intellectual property and, and um, I had been attending this ashram. There was a lot of conversations about Seva, um, which is, you know, selfless service. Um, And so I kind of had this moment where I'm like, all right, I literally went on the internet on Facebook, actually, there's a moments in time into in early 2013 because that all started cascading um, through the end into January of 2013. I said, "Okay, I'm taking a vow of service. What do you need? Like, I'm giving up all my forms of income. Mm. I'm going to educate myself. I'm going to listen. I'm going to help wherever I can." And the first person was like, oh, I'm getting knee surgery. Can you wow. make it up to Oregon in the next few days? Like, I need someone to help me while, you know, it's healing and I've got kids. I'm like, okay. And then the next one was like, hey, can you sit with my father? He's dying and um, we're distant from each other. And, you know, he might sexually harass you a little bit, but, you know, he's stuck in a bed. So you're semi-safe, but I want somebody <laughs> with him so he's not completely alone. I'm like, okay, whatever. Wow. Did that. And then it's like, hey, can you come Mm -hmm. help us do this thing, that thing? I was getting invites from friends I had met at festivals that were indigenous folks that were um, doing certain kinds of like activism and environmental restoration. And there was just a lot, a lot that I was being handed all over the place while I was re-examining and rereading all the different holy books, looking for all the universal pieces of wisdom and, and things like that. Mm. And um, in 2011, mm-hmm. I had gotten connected to a group that was doing food reclamation 
Um, and so in 2013, I loosely started, um, you know, we, we would go and, um, we were getting food out the back door from Trader Joe's and Whole Foods, like their damaged goods because they don't have damaged mm. goods sections. Yeah. Or things that were dale. Yeah. And we would take it out and feed people. Um, or we would oh, divvy it up cool. and feed each other. And then there were some housebound folks. But then I started taking it out to feed homeless people again. I was like, yeah, I should do this. And then in 2014, um, you know, I found myself in Phoenix, um, Arizona at the end of 2014, going into 2015. And where I was, it was just really bad. So um, my partner and I at the time just were like, hey, we just got a crock pot. Let's make some beans and take them out. And then it was like going to Taco Bell and saying like, if I buy this many burritos, will you give me this many so I can go distribute them? Um, So by Mm. 2014, 2015, we started really seriously um, living in a van. Um, From 2014 until 2019, um, with him and without him, um, and with the help of some other people that I was friends with, um, I managed to, um, with their help, reclaim literally tons and tons and tons of healthy food and then start getting support from restaurants and so forth to Mm. um, get all this food. And then we would cook it in borrowed kitchens or on a camp stove. Um, My time with him ended in 2017. So I was like on my own and coordinating this. Um, Mm -hmm. And we would go distribute healthy gourmet meals. I would um, do sort of a non, um, uh, what would you call it? Like it wasn't associated with any religion, but I would do prayers with people that wanted them. I would do hugs. And uh-huh. and then in between, uh-huh. I would do free hugs. And the amount of people that would just start crying when I'd hug them. Yeah. Like one kid that was like three times my size. And he had been in the United States for three years going to university and, and he didn't have, he didn't make friends. He had come from Mexico. He just started sobbing on me and, and told me that. And it was just like, oh my yeah. gosh, like people just need to wow. connect. They need all of this. So by 2019, yes. I was like, okay, I'm getting really serious. I think I want to do this. This would scale if I did it this way. And how do I not, you know, turn out like Uber Eats or Yelp that, you know, takes advantage of right. restaurants, but helps them. And right. they can't afford to give anything else more free. And, they, you know, nobody wants just the food that's, you know, going to go in the trash. So mm-hmm. I had met my founder and co-partner. He was listening to me for several months talk about this. And then we got locked down in France together um, when the pandemic hit. Um, And we went Mm -hmm. into lockdown earlier than the U.S. did. And so we started designing the system. And through the course of the pandemic, it was just um, designing, redesigning, designing, redesigning, tightening, um, checking for integrity, like checking for tensegrity. And you know, and so we just mm-hmm. came up with this thing that includes all community stakeholders um, while leaving out big corporations um, and how we do it in like levels and chapters of the life of the platform. 
And what it does is it allows you, Stephen, to walk into a restaurant that, you know, your, your cafe, when they're using Loving Eats, mm-hmm. when you check out, they're probably going to ask you, do you want to feed it forward? And when oh. you buy that meal and say yes, it's a gift. It's coming from your own abundance. Uh, You're not trying to get a tax uh-huh. right off. It's a gift. So now you've had an opportunity for direct giving, which is something people cherish right now, which is why GoFundMe does so good because, and then the restaurant increases their revenue. Now the person that meal is going to go to actually, uh, is qualified as a recipient, um, on the, the, um, platform, they're a user, everybody's a user period, but, uh, the local nonprofits, um, regardless of whether or not, um, supplemental nutrition is a part of their mission. If they have clients that they know are food insecure, they can qualify them as a recipient on the app. And so it creates this Mm trust-based system where you've been able to do direct giving, uh, and send a message of support to the person. Like, you know, I hope this brightens your day or, Mm. you know, whatever. Um, the restaurant increases their revenue. The nonprofit increases their mission and efficacy, which helps them qualify for more funding opportunities and it gives them exposure in the community. And the person receives that Mm -hmm. meal. And then there's more that we're going to do for it to localize food systems. I still don't have the ink dry on certain partnerships and stuff that will um, allow farmers to like, Mm -hmm. you know, sell directly to restaurants and break their ties. But the whole point and, and community leaders are involved as ambassadors of the whole thing and sort of like bringing all the connecting pieces Amazing. together. So it really, it, it's, it's about community resilience and community interdependence instead of dependence or independence, because both of those are very weak systems that lead to failures that we've seen. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. everything that we have right now in our food systems in the United States are relying on corporations and the government. So once we start relying yeah. on each other, um, then it gets mm-hmm. we get stronger. And I, you know, I was really learned that in, in like through the buy nothing groups. Um, if you're familiar with that movement, um, I mm-hmm. guarantee you in LA you've got one no, in your, what is that? your community. It's the Buy Nothing Project. You can go to buynothingproject.org. I'm a huge like fan of theirs. I've been doing it for like since 2013, I think. Uh, 2000, maybe 2000, uh, I don't know. Anyway, right, like, right, right when they, they started, I was up in Oregon when they started and, and, um, it's, it's a oh, is community that where you project. Like, um, is that where, you, is that where like, instead of buying something, you see what the community has that they're not using. So you just trade it so that you don't have to be. Oh, you don't even trade. You don't even trade. You just ask. It's, a, it's, um, give, ask, receive or, or give, ask gratitude is the, the ethos. So you give of what you uh-huh. have that you're not going to use anymore and then you can ask for things that you need and then we express gratitude in multiple ways and you know (laughs) we're constantly reminding people that it only works we can only give things and we can only really feel gratitude if people are receiving and so that ethos is baked into loving eats too because as we track cool. everybody's impact and give them their lineage of impact so they can see how much they're actually helping the system, whether they're the restaurant owner, the farmer, the person that bought the meal, the person that, 
is receiving the meal, the nonprofit, whatever. All these people have a lineage of impact that they'll be able to see so they can actually understand the depth of their impact to the best that we can track it and um, how they're actually helping people. Um, and again, you know, we'll be doing other things like bringing people like the recipient and the, the, um, buyer together to like meet each other, you know, if they both consent and things like Mm -hmm. that, like meet in person and Mm -hmm. just document their stories. But, um, you know, we want to track like community impact, like how much do, um, how much does social cohesion occur, uh, or has, has it occurred? Like how, um, how much more friendly has it become? Have crime rates lowered? Is health improving? Is mental health improving? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And all of that. And and there's so many mechanisms built into it that it would take me forever. And I already understand that I'm <laughs> on like a full like autistic dump. So I apologize, but it's okay. Dump, you but- know, on my other podcast, <laughs> I say tangents are allowed and encouraged. <laughs> it's awesome. just kind of how we make the interconnections. I think that's yeah. great. Um <laughs> Because we're going to talk about donut economics, so this will all tie together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, so you know, the the whole point is to scale it community by com- community, so it creates concentric networks. You know, like yeah, like in like buy nothing, you're going to have four different you know groups in like the city of Burbank. Like I think we have four different like. Um, you know, groups in Burbank of buy nothing. Technically everybody's in walking distance and it's broken up in a way that you're creating um, equity. So you have people who are lower income in the same group with people that are higher income. Um, And, you know, everybody's benefiting in one way or another, but it's also not just about stuff. It's about like a connection and helping each other. Like one of the first things I did in um, my buy nothing group when I moved to Burbank again was uh, to organize organize or participate in a food train for a woman who was about to have a baby. Um, so it's things mm. like that too, you know, like it's that really real helps. community. Yeah. Within yeah, walking that distance. That really helps. Um, That's a time where yeah. that, yeah, that's one of those times where you really need the support because there's so much, especially <laughs> after the baby's born. Yeah. 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 So, you know, Loving Eats is really the true mission statement, even though we're addressing um, hunger and food waste mitigation, we're addressing um, bringing additional prosperity and abundance into each stakeholder's lives in the community, bringing everybody a little bit more success in where they're at in their lives or what it is that they're doing with their lives. At the same time, uh, the real uh, theory of change is around remembering the sacred economics of gifting, sharing, and yeah. communing, and and generosity and gratitude and things of that nature. Because it's, and I'll just say this: I, I know I said this um, on Space Camp, but for the audience too, I'll just say this. We keep talking about environmental regeneration, and I think that that is so important that we actually baked in uh, 20% protected um, uh, funds from our whatever profits we do have in Loving Eats goes back to land regeneration projects. So the majority of that going to the Buckminster Fuller Institute's for Generosity program. 
Awesome. But, <laughs> yeah. but um, all this land regeneration isn't going to matter if we don't provide social regeneration. Because if people are still yeah. fighting over land and if we're still doing terrible things because corporations are behind our backs, like, hee, 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 I can put this much more in the water because everybody's mm-hmm. arguing about mm-hmm. whether gays are bad or not, you know, and things like that. Exactly. Nobody's looking. Yeah. <laughs> and I put money in this politician's pocket and here's, um, you know, yeah. Putin with whatever's going on in his mind, you know, doing oh, look, what he's doing. Clean in diesel. <laughs> Right. We made clean diesel. diesel. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, it's just like, like, and, and really like, we don't even have viable measurements for carbon tax credits right now. Like, I think we all kind of know that and, and you're, you're contributing something, but really, so, you know, it's like really shaky right now. And, But if people are fighting over land, if dictators are burning people's crops to starve them, Mm. if we're still letting corporations evict people that have lived on their land for thousands of years to raise part of the rainforest and graze pigs there, or we're chasing orangutans off land that they've been on for tens and tens and tens and tens and tens of thousands of years so that we can grow palm oil for everything Um, with monoculture, like it and, and Mm -hmm. all the deterioration of the land and everything. It's, it's not going to work unless we do some social regeneration and, and that needs to happen with matriarchal mm-hmm. systems that doesn't mean it has to be all, you know, feminine or female leadership, just more essence of feminine um, nurturing and inclusivity and, and um, thinking for the highest Generosity good of everyone. And care. Yeah. 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 Inclusion yeah. and s- community. This idea of community. Exactly. And, um, try, like having the whole, you know, what I do matters to you and what you do matters to me and we care for one another. I think there's a, there's a baked in uh, a sense, essence of, and also a slowing down and a, 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 like a cherishing and a holding of space that maybe doesn't exist when we're like, do, 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 like achieve, achieve, achieve. It's like, you know, that has, <laughs> oh, man. that has gotten us certain things. And that's not, it's not bad, but it's bad in excess. And it's clearly in excess right now. Our society is completely out of balance. And, and you know what? I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to come out and say it and, you know, whatever, hashtag woke, whatever. Um, the thing is, <laughs> is like, we've really, um, those are products of supremacy. And mm-hmm. if you think about it, like religion and politics that have been dominated by males, colonization, all of that, the very idea of racism, you know, was invented by man. There's nothing accurate about it. And it's this idea that we're separate from nature that kind of came from yeah, the we Abrahamic must traditions, the, we must take yes, right, subdue which it. is the wild. Just the languaging, it's wild. Yeah, and it, it, it's like it's got this whole programming that runs with it. If you think your your role as a human is to subdue nature, and here's the versus thing: versus to crazy. steward nature, it really depends on which Bible you're reading. 
which translation you're reading. It does. Be- which, because, yeah, all the, yeah. yeah. Because some Bibles say steward. Yeah. And, and yeah. look, yeah. we know each. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's really crazy. And these are patriarchal systems. They're artificial. Yes, humans are spiritual beings. Yes, humans need social order. They need some boundaries because, I mean, look at our billionaires. They're always like, how far could I push this boundary? And we as kids and then as teenagers and then as adults on our own for the first time. As humans, we're always pushing boundaries and seeing how far we can go. But what you were saying is a product of ideas of cultural and race, uh, you know, supremacy, religious supremacy, et cetera, which is that dominate and, and chase and everything. Whereas when we look to indigenous wisdom and matriarchal wisdom, which are usually one and the same. Um, but you know, like for instance, we can look at the, the indigenous people, um, in different parts of the, um, Americas. Like, you know, let's just stick with Turtle Island for a second. I've had the honor of spending a lot of time with the Paiute people. And, Mm. you know, like, like, there's still that essence of like, calm down, breathe, let's pray. And then that prayer is going to take an hour and a half. And you're going to sit there and listen to that person <laughs> pray for an hour and a half, but they're praying for the land, yeah. they're praying, praying for the water, they're praying for the children, they're praying for the animals uh. and everything, you know, like, like, um, from the, the Lakota people, everything is our relation. Like the grass is our relation. Mm. The rabbit is our relation, the flies, the bees, all of it. And these ideas of like, man-made borders and everything. It's segmenting the world into, I control this, this is mine, 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 and land ownership and all of that. And land ownership instead of land stewardship. Like, you can't own land. Like, but... But, you know, all of these things. Eckhart Tolle would say it's the it's the ego, which is the madness of humanity. It's this idea that the brain (laughs) has gone. I'm going to separate and divide this for this. This Mm -hmm. is this is this kind of thing. And this is that kind of thing. And they're not the same. But instead of looking at I mean, again, it's to tangent even more without going there. It's like medicine. (laughs) You know, you have a brain doctor, you have a heart doctor, and you might have a problem with your heart that's, you know, circulation that's connecting to your brain. But this doctor is only looking at that and that doctor is only looking at that and they're not exactly. seeing the whole thing. they're not asking you what are you eating right because right. that's affecting your health the most what is in your environment that's affecting your health the most are you in a relationship that makes you happy that brings you joy that's affecting your blood pressure that's affecting your well-being that's affecting your cortisol levels or your oxytocin all these things are one and, and, and you so know what? it's, it's uh, madness is, that we have. And I don't think it's yeah. something we have to maintain. It's not a paradigm we have to continue. It's something no, it's that not. we've been given and it's a program that's running, but it's not the natural state of humanity. It's not. And it is, it's, it's <laughs> definitely not. It's under the natural state of anything. Our closest cousins in the primate, you know, in the, in the, in the primate family are bonobos. Bonobos are so. Mm-hmm. Am I allowed to curse? 
<laughs> you know, I haven't decided so yet. I haven't decided yet. Maybe I'll bleep it out. Go ahead and curse so you can get the... Yes, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> They're so effing badass. But they have a matriarchal structure. <laughs> they steward their habitat. They dance at waterfalls. They have play. The men play. You know, the males play with each other. The children learn. I mean, it's, it's amazing. They are amazing creatures. And I think that between indigenous people, our closest primate cousins, um, and just looking at mother nature, just sitting with mother nature, I really, really, really strongly, strongly believe that there is a total connection in the patriarchy to colonization, white supremacy, religious, uh, religious power and blocking us from psychedelics, Mm -hmm. keeping us from psychedelics because all of our ancestors, it doesn't matter which culture you look in. There were psychotropic substances that not even used on a daily basis, even if it was ceremonial, but now we're finding how powerful they are in healing mental disorders it is mind-blowing yes. to me. And I want to interject why... because... Go for it. Oh, sorry. We're, yeah, the delay. We're, Michael Pollan, again, he's a journalist and he wrote uh, In Defense of Food and uh, The Omnivore's Dilemma. But he also wrote mm-hmm. about psychedelics because there is growing <laughs> research to being done on the fact that certain psychedelic substances can actually help cure like legitimately like heal post-traumatic stress, chronic depression and other major unhealable, like just, you know, we just do a treatment course to kind of maintain kinds of DSM diagnoses. And so there's actual um, academic research that has begun again into these things after it was banned in um, the 60s, 70s, whenever it was, and basically put on a schedule one, which makes no sense for substances that don't kill you and potentially have some sort of benefit medically yeah. that was put on the list of things that is like, this is basically poison and you shouldn't ever use it for any clinical. So that is slowly getting reversed. And so I personally, I've never tried psychedelics. Uh, but the reason that I learned about it was because <laughs> of podcasts where they were talking about there's like legitimate scientific research that needs to go into this. And to the connection that you were talking about in society, I think, you know, we've been as society have been cut off in multiple ways from our own sense of essence or uh, spirituality or connection to the, the divine bigger than us in, in multiple ways through religion, uh, ironically, um, and also yeah. through um, this idea that this idea that everything has to be reduced to a rationalist um, materialist framework, which I think when you're speaking of indigenous cultures and your experiences with the Pai- Paiute, there's a reverence of nature. There's a reverence of spirit. There's a ref- re- there's reverence a relationship of where does life come from. Yes. Yeah. And so but when there, you're looking at everything from a reductionist frame, was divide this from that. It's not it's necessarily intended like from science, let's say. Science is very positive, but it's not necessarily meant as like this tool of um, empire or, you know, but but basically what happens is, is that 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 
I think that reductionism, you know, it can have its place, but it's not the whole. <laughs> and I think within what I've been appreciating about Buckminster Fuller is to learn the centropy between things and the tensegrity between things and how those things work together and in balance. Yeah. And, you know, none of us thrive unless all of us thrive. And so let's use Let's use our science. Exactly. Let's use those things to to better. But you have to ground it in the heart. If you don't ground it in, like you said, in community, it's like when we have these these uh, environmental components, we need to also think about the community because mm-hmm. it's it's the actions that human take humans take in aggregate. I like to quote. I mean, we've we've covered a lot of ground. I like to quote Depeche Mode. There's a song that says, "Everything counts in large amounts." And so I feel like, you know, when you're dealing with things like food systems, if you can find a trim tab to change what's mm-hmm. being done in, in bulk, that's when we start to see the payoff. That's when we start to see the numbers change in terms of carbon, in terms of, you know, economy and finance and all those things. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, uh, you know, we have this entropic, you know, we're, we're, we're caught in the death spiral, as I've heard someone in the Fuller Institute say, it's like, you know, we're really in this kind of like sense of entropy where everything's failing and everything's falling apart. But when you look at nature, nature isn't like that. Nature is regenerative. Nature is always, you know, growing and it's incorporating more and it thrives with diversity. And so you don't have to be, you can still be, you know, you don't have to be spiritual. You can, you know, you can be um, not believing in any kind of spirit, anything, but still like incorporate the wonder of all that is and still realize that there's love and connection that is, you know, this intangible, tangible. It's this real thing that affects, it goes into the soup. The love makes the soup. (laughs) And that also is like the essence of what it is to be human. And the more we can connect to that, the more... Um, and for some reason, you know, this this consumerist culture is sort of separated from that. I mean, we we get in a car, we leave our house, and we never really talk. Oh, to but anybody. that's a part we of the plan. That's exactly, and it's it's a part of the because problem. look, and so the corporations yeah. make more profits when everybody's buying a TV instead of ten people sharing a TV. They make more money yeah. when they can sell a house that only holds this many people instead of a house that fits this many people without all the lavish, you know, chandeliers. Right. And marble, so you're not a you're not a person. A you're a unit. To- Exactly. Yeah. You're, not you're, a, you're yeah, a part you're of their number. profit projections. Yeah, yeah, you're a part of their profit and projections. And that's what's got to change. I think yeah. we can do business in a way that is is heart-centered and we can, you know, we can have this more like smaller, more interwoven idea of businesses and economies. And, you know, that's, you know, people talk about local. I, I had a friend who had a bumper sticker that said, who's your farmer? Right. Right. But, and, so the and idea you know what? that, that's, you know, that's I, I I know I should be talking about living eats, but I'm gonna say that's what buy nothing is doing because literally, you don't like like not everybody in the community owns a lawnmower, but there's plenty of people willing to lend you one. Not everybody yeah. uh, in the community has a car, but people are willing to drive you when they're going the same direction. And, and we could make don't, a whole lot less stuff. You don't need to make, you know, 20 lawnmowers if people were just sharing a lawnmower, right? Yeah. 
And I think that that's where we need to go. I think that's where everybody needs to go. Like for me, I think, um, you know, the best thing I used to do a little bit of like purpose coaching. I still want to get back to that because I think everybody inherently has a solution inside of them. Now, whether they're meant to make that solution or they're meant to help somebody that's already working on that solution or whatever, because we definitely need to break the habit of competing and we need to start collaborating, which again is why loving eats is very specifically connecting with other platforms and people that support our overall mission. Because again, resilience in the system as well as in the community. So it's like micro to macro resilience through collaboration as opposed to competition, which again is a patriarchal structure. And, and, and again, patriarchal isn't always artificial, but the artificial things are almost, almost always patriarchal. Um, and food systems are one of those, you know, um, Right now, especially, and like you know, my co-founder always says, it's sort commodification of this down." Yes, and, and and you know what's even crazier about it? So think about religion, government versus like you know, uh, yeah, corporations. You're never gonna reach uh, the patriarch. Very few people will ever have direct communication with that patriarch. Only the most blessed chosen people will ever speak to God or see God or uh, have a meeting with the president or uh, hang out Mm -hmm. with the CEO of anything, right? Which is part of the reason I want to make sure I'm embedded in the community. And you have to be worthy of all of them or else you can be excluded. So whether that's... um, from buying certain brands or getting certain kinds of jobs that can support you or having a relationship with the bearded guy in the sky, there's a disconnection that tells you you're not inherently worthy. In fact, most of them tell you you're just trash to begin with. So, you know, you're already rejected from inception. And matriarchal systems, instead, the first thing your mother does is she- fundamentally flawed. Exactly. You're just imperfect. And we had to kill somebody to make you uh, to so that I could forgive you. Like this doesn't make any sense, but whatever. Um, I I honor people's need for spirituality. And if they're practicing the words and wisdom of Jesus or Muhammad or, or, you know, whatever, that's fine. Um, I just, I have a hard time connecting. So I'm not trying to diss anybody. I just want people to be. You were were about to say the mother. Yeah. So the mother, on the other hand, the first thing she does is bring you to her breast. Think about that. You didn't have to earn anything other than your first breath of life. Mm -hmm. You're already worthy of her milk and her body is set and excited to give it to you. And then from there, like, you know, my co-founder always talks about your family doesn't charge you for food. When your your kids' friends come over, <laughs> you don't charge them for the snacks you give them after school when they're playing with your kids or expect their parents to do the same yeah. when they go over there. Right. And when you go uh, even to family gatherings, it's that time of year, you know, nobody's charging each other for that food. Maybe they're all pitching in 
And so the meal is bigger and has more in it and everybody's like getting fatter and whatever, who knows whether it's healthy or not. But in, you know, at the end of the day, nobody's like, okay, so, um, I brought the it mashed is potatoes. If it's producing joy. Yeah. If it's something. Yeah. Like here's the mashed potatoes and flannel I got you. Consumerism, and this was a part of the (laughs) because because part of the Michael Pullen thing was about um, on Masterclass was about the fact that um, a lot of times when we eat unhealthily, it's because there's something else that's missing. Um, Yeah. So part of the consumerist, like, hey, we're gonna you know we're gonna take away your connection and your community, as that then you know we can say, oh, this stuff is gonna make you happy, and it's the same thing with food. Sometimes enjoying a rich meal when it's with family, you know, you do that once and you're satisfied, and then you go back to eating, you know, your nuts and you know different things, and you you know you kind of go back to to like a more because you're full, you're full in your heart. Yeah, celebratory and it's not feasts require this this sort of like refrigerator eating. Yeah. Yeah, and celebratory feasts are completely understandable. Festival feasts, all of that. Like you know, our our ancestors for tens of thousands of years have been celebrating with fermented drinks and and uh psychotropic drinks, you know, like soma and so forth. But and and doing ceremony and medicine with psychedelics, like you were saying, I will tell you this really quick. Um, and then maybe on some other podcast together, we could talk about the psychedelic thing. But I will tell you that the only reason I'm here right now is because I accidentally one time ingested 25 hits of acid at once, not realizing what I was doing. Mm. But I was on a trip with 25 hits of acid <laughs> at once. And that's the only reason I'm alive today. Because that was a mind-blowing experience that was more intense than when I actually died and had to be revived. Um, but, but you know, this, the, the wow. thing is, though, is that every single food disorder and nutritional issue is lack of money. So you're buying crap that is just leftovers of healthier right. food that they mash into something else and put in a dry box or a can or a frozen thing. It's a lack of um, connection and therefore there's depression and then you're not eating enough. And when you do it, something that's fast and easy. And trust me, I've been in all of these patterns. I know it. Um, When it's a lack of community, you tend to overeat because you're seeking that dopamine and connection with people. The the oxytocin isn't there. And we all, because of our childhood's whether or not there was love in them, were innately driven to um, crave oxytocin. We cannot survive without it. And kids that go without physical touch and so forth, they become psychos. Yes. Literally, that's what happens. Um, yeah. And I don't say that in a disparaging right. way, but sociopaths were babies that were neglected 99% of the time. And so... Honestly, and those people go on to get elected, (laughs) (laughs) right? Or run corporations. But you know, you know what I've said. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a really interesting (laughs) link if you think about the wealthiest men on the planet that are new money as opposed to old money. The new money men on the planet are all men that were nerdy bullied and othered and to some degree abused by their own family. 
So what happens when that continues from all the places you should get support, you become at worst or at best, you become selfish and self-protected. And at worst, you become narcissistic. And if if you feel and have perceived that the whole world has been against you, of course, you're going to hoard everything you can and screw everybody else. Fight your way like I did. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's literally something yep, I'm writing yep. about. So. Well, and and it'd be so fun to delve into all these these systems and underlying causes because I think that's what fascinates me about the idea of design science. It's like, okay, so these are the problems that we're dealing with as a society. And you're not going to fix them by saying, you know, oh, we're going to oppose all these people. I think understanding is so important. If we understand that this is what's missing at the at the, the root level, if you want to heal society in a generation, heal the community, heal the children, you know, be, right. be, support motherhood, you know, like support families and help to grow this sense of like interdependence and community. Because as we build a more peaceful world in the small scale, that will start to ripple out. And I feel like, um, you know, Mm -hmm. I I would love to jump into as a segue, just real quick. um, I'm still trying to understand donut economics better. And I think, you know, from the from the left brain, masculine side of things to understand, like, what is it that we could do with money that actually that actually interweaves with this idea of community and more local. I think what we're trying to do is build these scientific systems, these design systems that'll help to operate in a way that is actually, like you said, being a part of um, allowing this community to happen. So instead of taking a, um, what do you call it? A, uh, uh, colonial, you know, conquering view of all these technologies. What if we could take, take this structure and use it to, um, like be the, the, the tensegrity of the lattice that helps to undergird a, uh, a healthy and kind and regenerative society. So I, I believe donut, donut economics is something that's getting a lot of attention in terms of how could we, you know, bridge from from money to community, uh, and how could we make that that work for for all of life? Um, could you explain donut economics for just a minute, and kind of like the the Cliff's Notes version, and maybe explain what you understand about that? Yeah. So, so first of all, it's interesting because circular economics and donut economics are closely related, but they're not exactly the same thing. So okay, I had you. been I focusing on. Yeah, I had actually been focusing on um, sacred economies and circular and other forms of alternative economies can be regenerative without um, having every single stakeholder in a community involved, for instance. But donut economics is more about how we create. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, you know, it's like it's like. it's like the the book that Burning Man was created. Um, like the the theme of Burning Man is based off a book called The Gift: um, Art and the Erotic Life of Property, and it's it focuses on all these different gift economies where things would get passed around. Eventually, it would come back to the original uh, source. So usually, this was like in indigenous tribal groups when there was some sort of we can call it a relic for now, some sacred item that would be gifted to the next worthy person and then the next worthy person. And it would eventually come back to the original tribe in some sort of like acknowledgement or whatever. 
And, um, but it stayed within a system and it had a certain sort of, um, uh, importance and symbolism and something connected to it that was much more meaningful than anything you can buy off Amazon. <laughs> anyway, um, donut <laughs> economics, however, is so, so circular economics can happen between people without a system. It's just a game of telephone, if you will, or whatever. That's a circular economy for, for better or for worse. You know, a game of telephone is a circular uh, thing <clears throat> of a social economic. Whereas donut economics is for creating systems, communities, um, et cetera, where it's more um, larger system and larger stakeholder and resource based. And you're looking at how everything you're doing is going to impact. So like Loving Eats was, when we designed it, was already taking that all into account. So once we started overlaying um, TetraMap and then TetraMeme, uh, you know, from Yoshimi and John, um, from their their wisdom um, that is also connected to the Maori, um, the Maori people. And then um, once we started um, looking at donut economics, we were really close. And because for me, Again, it's probably the neurodivergence, but there's this hyper sort of obsession, not with perfection, but like I did a lot of dishonest things to survive when I was younger. And now I feel like I need to like, you know, uh, <laughs> repent. I don't like the term repent because it's very religious, but I need to sort of like give back and do right by people. Like, yeah. you know, I stole a lot. I lied a lot for self-preservation and I did things that were off. But for me now, it's like, how do I give back instead of take? And that's where it's like not a savior mm. thing. It's a service thing. But Dom Donut mm -hmm. Economics looks at the entirety in like this circle, but then like also in the center, like what is central? What is the most central right. point of this? And then growing out. But um, people can go to the website. They have tons of, um, if they just Google donut economics, you know, they can find um, the the main website, um, the labs that are working on this. And it's a really sort of decentralized movement. Um but it's being overlaid on top of everything. And again, it's about resilience and how everything is interconnected. So not mm -hmm. just how is your house impacting the cows in the field down the road and the water in the stream on the other side and the kids at play on um, at the park. And, you know, it, it's, it's like everything. How is it impacting everything? What is the weakest link? What is the strongest link? What um, mm -hmm. can we support more? Um, is there something that we can do to lift this stakeholder or resource or, um, you know, other creature on earth up in importance and, and support their ability to thrive too?
Let's talk about it on a practical end, um, just in terms of with your own experience and within restaurants. So when you come in and look at the food waste issue, for example, um, and you're able to reclaim some of that food, which otherwise would be trash, and you're able to bring it into the community. Can you share with me a little bit about like the on the ground experience of what you notice with restaurants and, you know, how has this changed? Um, how does this change things? Well, again, at least in America, this is where corporations love to get in the way. Um, mm. You know, there's laws needed now because we are a very litigious uh, culture. Um, we love to, you know, get money wherever we can. Like, oh, I stubbed my toe. Give me $50,000, you know, things like that. Now, granted, there are some true reparations that need to be paid. And there's some things that definitely people deserve financial support for the rest of their fucking life. Sorry, yeah. I just cussed on your show. But on the other side of this, you know, the fact is, is that it's really hard um, because of shareholders, insurance companies, uh, laws around liability and so forth for restaurants and grocery stores to donate food. And so the bigger the company, the more the waste. And I don't just mean that in like, a, you know, it goes up one point for each store. I mean, it ends up being fractal. So, yeah, like Walmart is destroying so much food. It's ridiculous. But also then we have nonprofits that um, unfortunately are very inefficient. And even if they take those leftover ingredients, they end up getting wasted before the next uh, soup kitchen day or um, wow. somebody comes to the food bank to pick it up. So I really want to support those organizations just, too. It's probably just well, something like, they're not optimizing for as well. Like, you know, you think about oh, the there's contracts. of scale and how many moving, moving parts there are. It's probably, you know, not something that's on their priority list as a, you know, profit-tiering corporation uh, dealing with large scale. You know, if, if there's, you know... 5% waste, you know, so that you, you don't have bad food on the shelves. It's it's probably optimizing for, you know, freshness and all these things. And it's just not something, but if it's right, you know, if you're the person, if you're a small group of people who are handling the food and you notice how much you're throwing away every day, it's kind of a different level of awareness. You're on, you're more closer to it. You see what's happening and you go, oh, well, we could just, you know, and somebody can sort of come up with the solution organically. Well, someone over here needs this where, you know, when you're just a spreadsheet, you know, full of numbers moving around. Around and you're, you know, this human up here at the higher level looking, you don't see it. You, you, maybe you don't even know that it's a, I mean, let's, you know, oh, give people the benefit of the doubt. Absolutely you know, it's the know. human and you don't. Oh, do they really? They, they absolutely know, though, because they're counting it in their profits and losses. And here's the thing this is what happens the IRS makes it uh, a bigger um, thing for you, like a ta bigger tax uh, deduction. If you have to throw away food that didn't get sold rather than donate it, because you get to write off what? all of the money. Yes. Because when you as an individual oh. itemize your taxes and you include your donations, you're only getting to write off 50% of that donation as a thing. Well, businesses, it's a little bit less, but if they have loss of income, due to whatever market conditions or whatever. So, oh, you know, we bought, we, we projected we'd need um, 500 steaks this week and we only sold 
400, we had to trash the other 100. But then what happened is you have a couple of legitimate and then a bunch of just predatory lawsuits where somebody ate something mm-hmm. that they dug out of the trash and or were given by the store um, at a food bank or something. And um, it was poisoned in some way or toxic in some way. And then that person mm-hmm. ended up really ill and they sue and get a bunch of money. So now business insurance, which is something you have to have by law if you're running a business, if mm-hmm. you get you know sued, um, business insurance won't cover you if you're giving food away. So what, and unless mm. um, you actually have something called a waiver, a donation waiver, and then the nonprofit has to give a donation receipt, but then it gets worse because the person receiving the donation receipt is the one that decides how much that was worth. So they can give you a raggedy stained, blood stained, torn up t-shirt and say it's worth $200 and then write it off for a hundred. <laughs> and they really only got it for $5, right? <laughs> But at the same, oh my God, goes Nikki, with you know what this makes me think of? You know, you remember Homestar Runner when when the strong guy oh is like gosh, the system is down, the system is down. There's a light switch riot. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you just brought Homestar Runner into this conversation. You just excited me so much. <laughs> you know, it's my partner, broken, man. Well, this is so my, fucking it broken. Is. Sorry, I'm gonna have to bleep it that is. out too. Wow. No. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Stop yeah. bleeping things. Let's just be real. Let's not be artificial. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee you, Tom Chi cusses. I guarantee uh. you, Faith has her moments where she explodes <laughs> <laughs> up. <laughs> well, but you so know this happens. is, you know. It's it's not lost on me. Okay, we're having this conversation, and and the place where you're staying just happens to have a bridge behind you. <laughs> and this whole conversation, well, I've been thinking about the significance yeah. of a bridge and how one of the things that I feel you talk about, you know, that emerging, you know, how how I serve, and I'm realizing that I'd love to build a bridge to so many people because I know a lot of people are. You know, they're not they're not hip to hashtag woke. You know, they don't understand. But when I talk to people on both sides of the political spectrum, they'll look at things like lawsuits and go, why? Or they'll look at things like waste and they care. And exactly. there's, so much, there's so much divide. But, you know, ultimately, you know, uh, what was it that Bucky said? You know, it's it's all or it's all of us or none of us. I mean, we live on yeah, one planet. There's no spaceship big enough to switch to ship off the people that we don't agree with. Yeah. So at some point, we got to start really connecting on, you know, the heart of the matter, which I think is that every every human cares about most humans, and except for a small percentage of them, really care when you talk about how much food is getting thrown away and people are going hungry. It's like I know people who are because we're know, all being money impacted to church charities who would 100 percent be even if they still believe that, uh, you know, that the religious narrative is, you know, the word uh, subdue nature. Well, that's what I love mm-hmm. about the idea of being an a man needs to become an apex gardener, not an apex yeah. predator. So you take the same <laughs> exactly sacred text and this you take Which the heart the of the belief of and you just say said to do. <laughs> That's right. And so it's literally just about building this bridge and making those connections and going back to the heart of the matter, which is love and interdependence and being there for one another, which is ultimately what Jesus taught. Kindness to your neighbor. Exactly. Love one another. 
Exactly. And that's the truth of that message. And so the fact that that truth has got, I mean, look, you could take, you could take the Bible and you could, they did use it as a way to support (laughs) slavery, or you could read the Bible and you could realize that the the evolution was, Hey, let's get off of this thing. And also, you know, that's what amazing grace was written about when the slave trader realized what a wretch he was for doing this. And that that was the amazing grace that he was saved from. And yeah, that's the message. And that's the unity because we ultimately we've got to we've got to get back to our, our humanity. And I think deep down, I think most of us, you know, really appreciate the, the, the heart of love and joy and peace on Earth. And that's the things that we're all trying to work for. And so I love it's, when it's, things can bridge, yeah. you know. <laughs> Together. I mean, the thing and is, that's why, you know, spend a little extra time talking about, you know, patriarchy versus matriarchy and things like that. It's not that being male is bad. It's not that sometimes no. you don't just need to get shit done. I mean, there are times where you need someone to make a decision and you need to be decisive and we need to stop that. That's that's important. And, but you need also, like you said, sometimes the wisdom from grandfather and grandmother is take a breath. Necessary. We're, it's OK. Yeah, we to, we're all here. Yeah, and and that's like, where the peace comes from, and that's where the better decision making comes from. That's how you you get out of this myopic thinking where it's just everything's a crisis and every what are we going to do? And that's you. There's so much waste that comes out of that. And we can just take a step back and zoom out and realize we're going to be okay, and we're all here together. And let's connect. Let's you know, let's sit with it. Let's do. Let's pray about what we want for an hour and a half. You know, let's 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 speak the world that we really yes. want to have and, and I still do from that. a place of community and love. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I always say, like, I am not religious and I don't believe in Abrahamic uh, God, but my life is 100% dedicated, even when I was doing it the wrong way, my life has been dedicated to doing what Jesus would do. That's the era I grew up yes. in, in those bracelets, right? And even though we weren't wearing them in yep. our church and I had left home before that even started, the bottom line was I always felt like, I hear you, brother. Like, you know, Jesus is like my brother, even though. But then the more I looked yeah. at the different sacred texts and everything, it was the same message over and over again, whether it was Jesus with the loaves of fish and, and the bread or the loaves of fish, the loaves of bread and the basket of fish. If it was Muhammad with the, the 70 men and the handful of figs, it doesn't matter where you look. The Buddha, uh, like everywhere you look in any religious path or spirituality, feed each other, love each other, be patient, commune with nature, respect your mother. And when they say respect your mother, I think first and foremost, Mother Earth, because that is the foundation mm. of everything. And the thing is, you were asking, so like about about that connection is, is uh, legislated. That's the problem. A restaurant cannot yeah. just hand food to a nonprofit Without really, really, really trusting each other not to do anything wonky. But then the government says, well, if you donate that food, you don't get a tax write off uh, unless you get a receipt mm. for that. And so that's one of the things mm. we're doing is we're streamlining those processes. So just with a single click of the restaurant letting their partnered nonprofits know that they have stuff they can come pick up, we're, we're going to be you know, doing other features eventually. Like I'm just giving the whole thing away, but 
if, if somebody's going to compete with me Amazing. right now, they've missed the point. No, they've missed the point. Collaborate yeah. with me because yeah. why are we competing? Yeah. So, so I'm just going to, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to like say it like, uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to be, we, we, we're streamlining those processes to make it easier. But Good. eventually when we bring those farmers on and stuff too, they're going to bring their, their, uh, ingredients and they'll be able to take the compost. So it's like mm. the 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 people at the end of the day of the leftover meals, like the servings of lasagna that are still sitting leftover or the extra steaks that were cooked beforehand or whatever, those go out the door to recipients uh, of loving eats um, in addition to whatever meals were bought forward to them. But food waste Amazing. is actually like those excess meals are going to be available to anybody that's a user on the platform because let's, you know, start eating what's already there instead of going going out and buying something new and then wasting more natural gas cooking it or electricity microwaving it or whatever just yeah. get the food that's already to cooked ship it exactly yeah. and then yep. and then you know mm-hmm. also the the extra ingredients the raw ingredients the church the food bank the soup kitchen whatever can pick that up and you mm. know put it to good use and and then whatever scraps are left go back to the farmer's land. So it's really from the ground to the ground. It's biomimicry uh, as much as we can. And it's about making all of the processes that are keeping people disconnected and and trying to bring them con- connected to each other. And remember mm-hmm. that the unnatural part of the community are the corporations. The unnatural part of the community Mm -hmm. is the laws. Now we have to abide by those if we're not going to destroy ourselves, but we have ways we can hack the system. And, you know, that's the fun part about being a hacker is it's not just... I I seriously am so stoked that you're doing Homestar Runner stuff. It's so epic. But... You just, you just turn it on and have a dance party to it at the end. But um, <laughs> we need a lot more dance parties, right? Oh. We do. But ultimately, it's just about remembering um, who we are as humans, as opposed yes. to consumers, as land stewards yes. instead of land owners, as neighbors yes. and friends, as opposed to political opponents. All of those things are artificial. And the only reason that the the governments of dictatorship and the corporations that are extracting everything, including our life force from us and the planet and lying with the the food tables saying we need this much meat so they can turn the munition factories from World War II into factory farms of steaks that were completely unnatural for anybody to eat that much yeah. meat ever. And all these, oh, the paleo diet, and this that's all fake. And literally, it's just about <laughs> who can convince you to give them the most of your money as fast as possible and as often as possible, which is why things are being made in less and less quality. So it'll break. Oh, it works great yeah. while it's working, but then it it's going to break sooner. faster. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And anyway, well, I'm just ranting again. But the point is, is that, yeah, we just need to get back to our organic systems and remember the village, remember the tribe, remember our community, remember 
whatever it is, whatever your fellowship is, whether it's a church, it's AA, it's uh, the Buckminster Fuller Institute, <laughs> it's uh, a, mm-hmm. a nerdy, like, you know, land party. Get Star back Trek to convention. your community. And, <laughs> yes, Star Trek convention. Yes. yes. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you with this um, for, for the community here. Um, you've, we've all heard it said, the meek shall inherit the earth. Mm-hmm. Think of that in the light of the earth and how everything we were just saying about what it is that we are as stewards and how we shall steward this planet. And the, 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 thank you for exemplifying the life of service. Thank you. I was so stoked that you shared that. Nikki Wall, where can people find out about Loving Eats? Well, lovingeats.com for sure. <laughs> Um, and then they can, you know, find me on social media, LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn is Peace Nikki. That's a LinkedIn forward slash Peace Nikki. Nikki Wall, I'm the first Nikki Wall that comes up on Facebook. Um, uh, Nikki at lovingeats.com. Uh, Nikki B. Love on Twitter. <laughs> but um, there's a lot of ways to connect to me. And we are hiring ambassadors. We're looking for aligned investors. Excellent. I'm looking for as, as many um, matriarchal uh, uh, board members that would like to join us now, right, right as we're getting ready to do the, the launch and scale. Um, there's room for a lot of people right now. Um, so there's that. And then I'll just say, who who are the meek? Who are the meek that will inherit the earth? What are the meekest? Who or what is the meekest on the planet? The most calm, yeah. chill. Yeah. The plants. The plants. It's the plants. Yes. The plants <laughs> will inherit the earth because ultimately, <laughs> and the mushrooms, the mushrooms, like the, the mushroom tree. network. <laughs> be a tree yes be leaf they get their shade <laughs> yes they get their shade they get their oxygen people just lie underneath them and they create benefit wherever they are wherever they be yeah yes. they're literally giving us our breath of life think about yeah. that they're the ones Converting. that are the buddhists just sitting there enjoying the sun breathing mm-hmm. drinking a little water yeah Chilling with the mycelial network and letting everything live on it, crawl on it. They are the grandmothers and grandfathers. Anyway, yeah, that's who inherits you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wonderful. Wow, this was incredible. Thank you for joining us on the Spaceship Earth mission log. And if you have a minute, I was going to tag one thing. Um, it was interesting to me when you were talking about Genesis and the way that the story is interpreted, uh, because I know a big part of you know, when I grew up in fundamentalist faith, there was a very similar kind of idea that the planet, because we're, because there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and Christ will come back and save us all from it all. (laughs) There's this sort of idea that we don't have to do anything for the planet now. And it's not necessarily something that people would Ah, say if they thought about it. But unfortunately, it's like this idea gets lodged in the brain of like, oh, well, you know, we're just living for heaven anyway. So it it doesn't matter here. And I think that's kind of informed our our action uh, or our inaction in certain communities. And so I think that the languaging of switching over to this idea of, you know, man originally tended the garden. 
And it wasn't to subdue the garden. It was to become that apex gardener. And so, you know, we that's our natural state. So if you wanted to look at, you know, how could we, especially as I've gotten outside of religion, I've realized that, oh my gosh, like nobody's coming. Like we're it. <laughs> and it's getting yeah. out of that learned helplessness of the victim savior complex where it's like, you know, to have a savior, you know, the, the, you know, to have almost victim perpetrator complex where you have these dynamics that play out because of the role we cast ourselves in. And I think what you're talking about with that more um, community oriented matriarchal society, I think what you realize is I'm a part of it. And yes. the beautiful thing that I saw happen was when you're in a matriarchal style of leadership, the advantage is, is that if you if you have a if you have the flu and you're in a matriarchal leadership structure, there are others in the community that have been shoulder to shoulder with you who know how to bear the burden. Yep. And so it's not and that just like is exactly you know, the head person, the head honcho is gone. What are we going to do? Let's run around like chickens with our heads cut off. It's like, no, we're going to fight in. each we're other because we are the community. <laughs> we are the community. Yeah. And and that that's exactly it. I mean, and again, that's community resilience. There's not one leader. Now, there, there, there might be leaders that are the best at this thing or the ultimate at that thing or something, but nobody has ultimate power. And yeah, that's what's really important in, you know, and, and that's why I talk about biomimicry and re-indigenizing systems, because that's where you can see that. And again, you know, I, I, I ended up, I wanted to work for the CDC. So I started studying, um, uh, medicine and I needed anthropology as a minor in order to be able to do that. Uh, it didn't work out, but I fell in love with anthropology. And um, so that's been um, the bulk of my autodidactic history um, with an emphasis on human spirituality, because I've wanted to understand why is it that I still feel a need for spirituality, even though it's impossible for me to believe any of what these books are saying. and. Um, I think that it all boils down to this, whether it's, it's those books, it's nature, it's indigenous belief systems uh, time and again, there is something more than us, but you don't even have to put it up in the sky. It's all around us. It's in the house plants that I watered today. It's in the air we're breathing that came from those trees. It's in the dogs that are barking yeah. outside and the other people that live around me and all of it. That's what it is. Everything. Yeah. We're a part of it all. And and it's a micro of the macro. Just like you look at your, your cells and they have little microorgans within them. So, you know, it's just a fractal universe and we don't it's even fra- know the full depth universe. of it. Yeah, yeah, but just like any ecosystem, whether it's your gut biome or a forest, everything has its role. And if one thing gets out of whack, it's all going to whack and eventually it's going to die. Yeah. Unless yeah. balance Brilliant. is restored. And that's it. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you for joining us on Spaceship Earth Mission Log. You can follow us on YouTube to get the video version of this podcast and get our newsletter on Substack.
spaceshipearthmissionlog.substack.com. If you need to know more about the Buckminster Fuller Institute, you can look up bfi.org. That is the inspiration for a lot of this, and they're doing a lot of great work to teach regenerative principles and thinking and to help spur on systems change in the world. This is Stephen Levitt. My podcast is The Language of Creativity. You can look up thelanguageofcreativity.com or find it on iTunes and Spotify and YouTube and wherever else you get your podcasts. This is Spaceship Earth Mission Log.